Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. I'm Bex Ajak. Today, we're finishing up our five-part series, Australia's Race to Warm the Planet. We're talking about how, as the rest of the world is cutting down emissions, Australia is actually increasing them. We're asking, how can Australia become completely decarbonised? Is it possible? Someone who thinks it is is our guest today, Jenny Lewis. Jenny is an environmental design consultant, an engineer, and a board member and researcher for climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, or BZE. Labor has recently stated that if they win the next election, they will reduce the country's emissions by 50%. So we've all been talking about emissions this week. But long before that announcement in 2010, BZE came up with a plan to completely decarbonise Australia, that is to reduce emissions by 100% within 10 years. It's ambitious, but BZE say it's very possible. So we'll be talking to Jenny very soon. But before we chat with her, let's hear a little bit of music to get us in the mood. This is Paddy Griffin with Rain. It's hard to know when to give up the fight. Some things you want will just never be Your life, I just want another chance to 
Welcome back to Women on the Line on 3CR Community Radio. That was Patty Griffin with the Rain. Today we're talking about how to completely decarbonize Australia, that is to reduce emissions by 100%. We're talking to environmental design consultant and member of the board for the not-for-profit research and education organization and think tank Beyond Zero Emissions, Jenny Lewis. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So is it possible can we completely decarbonise Australia? Yes, it's possible. And I, I guess the work that BZ is doing is largely focused around proving that case. So who are BZE? And, and maybe you can tell us a bit about what drew you to the organisation. So BZE are a group of mostly volunteers who have made it the focus of their work to look at climate change solutions. And in particular, They have a project called the Zero Carbon Australia Project where they're looking at sort of each of the broad sectors of the economy and putting together a plan for each for how they can move to zero emissions. And so the idea is that those plans are coordinated. And that means looking at energy, transport, buildings, um, land use, which includes agriculture and uh, forestry, industrial processes, and also at Australia's fossil fuel exports. Mm-hmm. So recently the Labor government said they were going to reduce emissions by 50% if they're elected, but it sounds like you guys have for a long time already been working out how we can not only reduce by 50%, but reduce by 100%. Yeah, that's right. And so when when BZE released their stationary energy plan in 2010, that was putting forward the the case that it was technically possible and economically feasible for us to have a 100% renewable grid. And the government actually commissioned their own study a few years later, which showed the same thing, that um, it's technically possible for us to have a 100% renewable grid in Australia. Um, So let's just clarify, when we talk about a country's emissions, are we talking about what this country emits for our own domestic use or for what we export to allow other countries to emit? So when we look at uh, a country's emissions, we just look at what they use domestically, which is what we use within Australia. But BZ have been doing research recently on how we decouple our economy from relying on exporting fossil fuels. I I guess it's an important part of decarbonising is that you don't rely on other countries to be still burning fossil fuels even while you decarbonize yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's really two elements in terms of what needs to happen if if we want to contribute to the world having less emissions as a whole. There's mm. sort of the our own emissions and then there's the emissions that we're helping other countries produce. Yeah, exactly. Because if we're looking to go to zero emissions ourselves, but we have an economic projection that relies on us still exporting coal, then it's a bit of a contradiction. Mm -hmm. And so when Bill Shorten says things like 50%, they're talking about domestic. That's right. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about domestic emissions first. In Australia, where do most of our domestic emissions come from? The, The energy grid is the big one. So that's when basically all of us are using power to turn our lights on and those kind of things we're emitting. Yes, unless you're on 100% 100% green power. <laughs> okay, right. And then what about in the cars we drive and Yeah, so transport's another another big user. Okay, yeah. so but but a smaller um, percentage. Yeah, so the biggest target and I guess why the focus of the first 
plan was our energy grid. That's mm-hmm. the biggest user. Mm-hmm. And because there's a transport plan as well as our renewable energy grid, what they've allowed for in the plan is transition from transport that currently is really oil intensive to 100% um, electric cars and a high-speed rail network and all these transitions to get us off oils. Okay, but the electricity that we're currently using for our day-to-day things, that's a big part of our emissions. And how do emissions, I, I don't know if it's simple to explain this to someone who, with a non-scientific mind, such as myself and probably some of our listeners, but what are emissions, is it, is it the, and those emissions then are, are contributing to the warming of the planet? Yeah, so I guess um, a kind of um, a simple way to explain it is that plants and animals are, are made of carbon. When they, they die, they sort of end up in the ground and over time and under pressure over a lot of time actually like sort of hundreds of millions of years they turn into fossil fuels so those are you know that's coal oil um, natural gas that we then burn because we've figured out how to get energy by burning those fossil fuels so Mm. basically we're we're taking carbon that's been absorbed over millions of years and even hundreds of millions of years and we're burning them all at once. So that's mm-hmm. the problem, that we um, that they, they've gone into the ground very slowly but we're releasing them very quickly. So it's, it's um, putting things out of balance. And then what happens is the greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere trap heat and we get warming of the planet. And so we're already seeing about 0.8 degrees warming compared to 1880 and that's projected to rise well at the moment i think the prediction is sort of three to five degrees by the end of the century but there are even worse case sort of possibilities mm-hmm. than that yeah so what have been the barriers so far to reducing emissions there are a few i think that one that stands out to me is that we have a tendency in our political system to look at short-term impacts on the economy that they're not necessarily thinking about sort of 30 years 50 years from now what the impacts are going to be of the policy that we're putting in now. There are really good economic cases for doing almost all of these things that we're proposing to decarbonise, but they're not about that. We're not talking about a three year payback. We're talking about being in a really good position in a few decades' time. I think another one is that there are vested interests. There, you know, there are people that own a lot of coal, and often they, you know, they have a lot of money, and therefore they have a lot of power. And so, those I think corporations have not uh, help the situation because uh, they have that sort of advantage over being able to spend a lot lobbying and changing people's opinion through the media. And I think that a lot of people have a sort of um, not a very good understanding of what the what the real economic benefits are of a lot of the projects that, you know, the sort of coal seam gas projects that get spruiked as being really great for the economy. Um, mm. But without really... I don't think we're always getting the full story. In mm-hmm. fact, I think we're never are getting the full story. Mm-hmm. So short-term, economically, there may be some disadvantages to people, but long-term, you're saying there may not. Yeah, I mean, probably the bigger problem is that we have existing coal-fired power stations mm-hmm. with existing coal that people want to get the money from the coal that they already own. So mm-hmm. I think that really in the long term, if you've got a wind farm, you're not paying anything for that wind, whereas you're, you've got ongoing costs associated with getting your coal out of the ground. So mm. there is a, there's a good economic case for renewables just mm-hmm. to, um, by virtue of the fact that we're getting the sun and, and the wind for free. So once we get going, it's not, yeah. it, it seems like you guys think it will actually be cheaper, but just to transition, I guess, yeah. to a whole new system is going to... 
yeah, cost the, something. The capital cost is there. But in the long term, when we talk about power prices going up because of renewables, actually in the long term they'll go down. And even government commission studies have shown that. So in terms of renewable, what, what defines a renewable technology and how does that work? I mean, all we really mean is that we're, we're not using fossil fuels. So we're using something that's not being depleted. So we're not actually taking away a resource that is not going to be there tomorrow. We're just using something that we have, I guess, not infinite supply of, but much more than we need, especially when it comes to solar. So it's mainly solar and then some wind that, um, that you guys think? It's the stationary energy plan. I think the breakdown was 60% solar. And this isn't for, uh, solar PV like you see on rooftops. This mm-hmm. is a different technology where we use the sun to heat molten salt mm-hmm. and then the salt stores the heat which can be used to generate electricity so that's how you can keep using it at night basically or when the sun's not shining so actually because the salt is stored it's insulated so that one percent of the heat is lost a day or something like that Mm. so for weeks you can be storing your solar energy even when it's not very sunny and so we now have the technology to use solar thermal yeah yep to use it to meet a base load so we can we can keep using the sun's energy when the sun's gone down. So I think I didn't finish explaining the breakdown, but oh, the right, stationary yeah. energy plan was 60% concentrated solar thermal and 40% wind. And the idea is that those two technologies are complementary and that we would tend to have wind when we don't have sun. So based on real weather data, BZD did a lot of modelling to show that that would meet our electricity needs almost all the time and then there's a bit of backup and so the backup Mm. would be some hydropower and also biomass. So you mentioned there were six sections what else needs to happen for us to to get to that point of of being emissions free? So the other research plans that have already been released um, there's a buildings plan which I was involved in as a researcher and that's looking at basically upgrading our existing building stock, so renovating insulation and improving glazing and some of the lighting and air conditioning and that sort of thing, and also going gas-free. So we would be changing anything that's currently sort of um, heating water or heating your house by gas would be changed to an all-electric supply. Okay, so so both the gas, where we get our gas from, and where we get our electricity from are... Uh emitting. Yeah, so they're both fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. In in Victoria in particular, there's a bit of a a feeling that gas is a green... Mm, I feel yeah. like the natural gas industry kind of promoted itself exactly. as an alternative. It probably saw a marketing opportunity there, but yeah. really it's, it's only because it's comparing itself to brown coal, which is the worst emitter okay. <laughs> that you can have. Yeah. So if, if we were comparing gas to renewables, it's not okay. good. And Going gas-free is, is about uh, becoming fossil fuel-free, but it's also about stopping the, the unconventional gas that, is, that we're seeing um, more of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we did a, one of the programs in this series has been on fracking and some of the um, problems with it and the emissions um, yep. issues. Um, okay, so it sounds like we want to get off gas and get off coal-powered coal electricity. Yep. So we want to get onto electricity that's renewable. Yep, and we that's also want to get onto okay. electric vehicles. So there's a there's a transport plan that's been broken down into sections. So there's an electric vehicles plan being released, I think, probably in the next couple of months. But there's also a high-speed rail plan that was released last year. And that looked at putting in a high-speed rail network up the eastern seaboard of Australia and 
the idea is that you could get on high-speed rail and go to Sydney from sort of centre of Melbourne to centre of Sydney in under three hours and from Sydney to Brisbane in under three hours as well. So to replace having to fly. And that would be so 100% electric high-speed rail off a 100% renewable grid is the, the vision. Okay, well, that so that vision so far sounds great. But I know, like, if I think of my own house, like, in terms of the gas that I use and all those kind of things, I'm just thinking people would be thinking, okay, this is going to cost money. Mm-hmm. So let's we're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we do, let's just go to a song. We are talking to Jenny Lewis um, from Beyond Zero Emissions on Women on the Line about how to make Australia 100% emissions free. Before we chat a bit more with her, let's go to Gillian Welch's Winter's Come and Gone. Listening to Women on the Line on 3CR Community Radio. We're joined by Jenny Lewis, who is on the board of Beyond Zero Emissions. She is talking us through some of BZE's plans to completely decarbonise our country. Jenny, so you've mentioned that certain things need to happen. So people who have gas, we want to get their heating systems off gas and, you know, move transport off petrol. How how does BZE propose households to be able to to join in in on that and uh, without costing a fortune. BZD does a lot of looking at costs. All of the research plans have dedicated sections talking about how much this compares to business as usual and how long the payback would be. So looking at starting with buildings, overall, if the full buildings plan was implemented, the, the estimated cost was $234 billion, which obviously sounds like a lot. But mm-hmm. then if we did the full execution of the buildings plan over 10 years, the, the total cost of the BZE part would be 40% of what we're an, annually spending retrofitting our buildings anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot, but at the same time, it's something which not only has a payback, it also would be something you would tie into retrofitting you're doing anyway. And so wh- where it comes to households, the idea would be that these that there there could be policy to support these retrofits. So, for example, you might change your lights to LED lights, which are really efficient lights, and that maybe there would be a government subsidy for a few years, which would help to get that off the ground, and then the cost would probably come down through the use of the te- technology. So, obviously, we can't all, as individuals, do all the the things and the plans, but with the right policy, there could be a way. Though, so there's. A lot of potential, I think, for that kind of assistance. But there's also, in terms of the big things that need doing, Mm. that's where government can play a big role. And things like the renewable energy target and the carbon tax, the idea of those policies is that we assist a transition to renewables by two things. One, by having a, a mandatory target that we we have to have a certain minimum renewables by a certain date, which is what essentially the renewable energy target is. And another that we penalise the really high polluting companies by having them pay for their carbon emissions. So basically the RET is the goal of how much we want to reduce it by and the carbon tax is 
that these companies who emit get charged yeah. a, f- a fine, basically. Yeah, so the carbon tax was put in place. Basically, the companies who emit greater than, I think it was 25,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent each year. So basically high-emitting companies, they had to pay a price for that carbon. So that price they paid to the government. And so what it meant was that there was a a real motivator for them to reduce their emissions because they were having to pay for them. And so that meant that something like wind energy suddenly became cheaper relative to something like a new coal Mm -hmm. power plant. So that was helping get those technologies off the ground and um, also helping those technologies, the renewable energy target, um, it put in a, I think based on around 20% of our electricity being renewables by 2020 was sort of loosely what the target, or at least a minimum of 20%. So we were tar- we were targeting 41,000 gigawatt hours for Australia by 2020, but that's just been scaled back as well mm-hmm. by the current government. So we've, I guess we've had what was quite good policy repealed and mm-hmm. reduced over the last few years, which has been really unfortunate. And how does the REC, obviously that's a goal, but how does that actually help to have that goal? Uh, what it means is that energy retailers or anyone buying wholesale energy, they need to reach a particular quota each year. So how much energy they sell needs to be a certain proportion of renewables, and that's going up each year until we get to... okay that figure that we're targeting. So the target is more than a goal, it's a kind of a requirement. It's mandatory, really. that's right. So, yeah. And so what it means is that we're guaranteed by that date to have that much renewable energy. And it, it means that if, you, if you're someone who sees a business opportunity of starting a wind farm, you can, you've got a guaranteed demand for that mm-hmm. wind energy because you know that they, that, that will companies. be purchased, yeah, yeah. that there's a demand that's there. And I guess another cool thing about the RET is that in addition to that mandatory target, a person can ask the energy retailer for 100% green power. So if you're on 100% green power, in addition to the mandatory target, your um, energy provider needs to buy the equivalent to what power you use needs to be bought um, from a renewable energy source. So okay. that so that adds to the target, and it means in theory that if everybody want if everybody in Australia decided they wanted not to have any coal um, power stations anymore, and we all switched to 100% green power, there would be zero demand from th- these retailers for well, all of their energy mm-hmm. would would be all of their demand would be for renewables. So obviously, it would take a little while for us to actually build mm-hmm. enough renewables if we all did it on the same day. But it does mean that. That, that that there's the ability for people to drive that transition. Mm-hmm. So um, if someone wants to go renewable and have 100% of their energy coming from renewable sources, they can do that now, but they yeah, have to pay for it. Exactly. They'll pay um, an, an additional cost. I think it's I think it's about $0.05 cents a kilowatt hour, mm-hmm. so you might pay an extra kind of 20% mm-hmm. on your hourly rate. I guess it's about on sort of one part of it is that there's a guaranteed demand for anyone who wants to um, invest in renewables and sell that. There's mm-hmm. a guaranteed market that's going to buy that from them. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, there's the ability for people to drive an even faster change. Mm-hmm. So if there's, so it's a policy that allows for um, the will of the people to also drive further change, which I think is, is a really – I think it's a good – it's a good um, – a good piece of policy. Um, so you talked about the RET and the carbon tax. Could Maybe you could talk a little bit as well about the ETS and how that fits in with all of this. So the ETS in, in Australia, 
there was the carbon tax was so the car, the carbon price um, was was set initially by the government with the with the plan to transition to an ETS or an emissions trading scheme, which would mean that um, initially everybody paid a set amount for the carbon they emit. And mm-hmm. then after a few years, that price would be set by market. So if you were a company that were doing really well and really reducing your carbon emissions, you could sell the, the carbon you're not emitting to someone who's not doing as well. So the idea is that you don't want to be the one person who's doing badly while everyone else does well because mm-hmm. you're, you'll end up having to pay for the, for the carbon you're emitting while they actually will make money. So it's turning those carbon credits that people are getting into a, a resource in themselves yeah, that they sort of, can trade. That's right. So it's using a market mechanism to drive something good. I guess what's problematic about but which was, I guess, what people say they didn't like about the carbon price and then what it sounds like might come up again with the ETS is that, that those companies then pass on the price and, you know, people say they were paying more, even though I think that there's been mm. some studies saying that wasn't true. But how does um, BZE sort of address that issue of how, you know, if people's prices, yeah. energy prices go up if these things get introduced? I think in a way that it's similar to what we see with the renewable energy target. So that was also criticised in that your energy retailer has to buy a certain amount of renewable energy. Mm-hmm. They have to pay a cost premium for that, um, potentially above what they would be paying for the cheapest local brown coal. Um, and that obviously gets passed directly to you, the consumer. So that's what happens. But in the long term, not even very long, but even if you just look sort of five, ten years a- ahead, people's electricity bills are actually projected to be lower because the renewables, as we talked about earlier, the infrastructure is expensive, but then they become cheap. Mm-hmm. So if, if we transition... In the long term, I think that that idea of we all we're all paying additional money all the time is actually not true. I guess what we have is um, renewables on the one hand that are getting cheaper, and then fossil fuels that are actually getting more expensive. The lowest hanging fruit we've already burnt, and mm-hmm. now we're looking at things like unconventional gas. And actually, back to gas, and I guess another reason to get off gas is that the price of gas is is set to maybe triple in in this decade. So gas is going up very quickly in price compared to electricity. It's projected to increase very quickly. So we think of gas as cheap, but it doesn't look like it's going to remain that way. So what you're saying is that um, it's an investment, that there's a cost now, but that might... So I think the carbon tax, um, we might see costs passed on to consumers, although I think the government was aiming to reduce that impact through actually using the money that was paid for the carbon to kind of redistribute that to offset increases people might see in in maybe the goods and services they were buying. So there were ways that the government planned to um, reduce that impact. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like basically a lot of the carbon price that we had was good policy environmentally. and It was was good for Australians. We're emitting a lot. A lot of that money is going to overseas investors who own, you know, the mines. Mm -hmm. And that was a chance for us to actually recoup some of that Mm-hmm. money internally and, and use it to take more progressive action. Mm-hmm. And yet I think I think that there was a lot of misinformation and that there was a real campaign against it. And I think that was driven by the companies um, mm-hmm. not wanting to pay the tax, mm-hmm. not, not by any negative impact it was having on people. Okay, so if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Women on the Line, produced at 3CR Community Radio. And we're talking decarbonisation with Jenny Lewis from Beyond Zero Emissions. We'll keep chatting with Jenny, but let's take a short music break. 
Here's Coming Up Crimson by Lucy Thorne and Pieta Brown. It's coming up crimson, coming up cold, coming up bright, coming on cold, and the smoke is rising in drifts of white from factory stacks to the edge of town. on the line. That was Coming Up Crimson by Lucy Thorne and Pieta Brown. And this is the final part of our series called Australia's Race to Warm the Planet. Jenny Lewis from Beyond Zero Emissions has joined us to talk about the solutions to a warming planet. And she's been explaining how Australia can become completely decarbonised in the next decade. So Jenny, it sounds like the technology is there, but yeah. it's sort of about thinking more long term. Yeah, that's right. It's sort of the long game. And that's, I think that is, you know, it's, it's a problem because it does require investment up front and it, it sort of requires a united vision. And I think that's something that BZE really can offer. It, it's sort of a full vision of where we're going and mm-hmm. then we can start looking at how we get there. And the plans outline that's a blueprint for how we could get there, but that's just one way we could do it. And actually, there are lots of ways that we might get there. Mm-hmm. And so, Jenny, what about the argument that there's people who work in those industries and, and they need jobs and we're going to be putting them out of a job by transitioning? Yeah, and that's an argument you you hear a lot. And I think probably the um, the volume of that argument is really amplified by the industries themselves rather than, you know, the the number of jobs that really represents. Mm-hmm. I think you, you'd be replacing these technologies with, with new ones and that would actually create a lot of jobs. So about kind of having a government that's willing to subsidise those transitions. Yeah, to kind of get them off the ground. I think that's, you know, that's a big part of it. And I think what you would get from a progressive government is, is that change happening quickly. I think what we'll see is that that change will happen very slowly instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you mentioned early on about the fact that we have this domestic target, but there's something else altogether happening in terms of the, our exports. How How is Australia going on that front in terms of... The the amount we export compared to other countries and whether that's going up or down. Yeah, um, BZE has released research on Australia's fossil fuel fossil fuel economy, it's called, and highlighting how emissions intensive our exports are at the moment. So right now, domestically, what we uh, um, our carbon emissions for Australia are less than what we export. So what we export, I think, is 130% of what we are currently emitting. And obviously that's fossil fuel is being burnt somewhere else and um and so it doesn't get counted as part of our emissions but they are fossil fuels that have come from here and so in some ways it's a contradiction for us to talk about decarbonizing while we still export huge amounts of fossil fuels mm-hmm. so what the fossil fuel economy research by BZE is highlighting is that our government has predictions for how much fossil fuels we plan to be exporting in the future 
and that those predictions are completely at odds with any progressive action on climate change from the rest of the world. And also that research is highlighting that we're in quite a precarious position in terms of how much we're focusing on an expectation that other countries will be wanting our coal and gas in sort of 20 years' time because Mm -hmm. it might be that other countries have taken efforts to reduce their carbon emissions that mean that they no longer want our coal and we just haven't allowed for that in our policy in terms of what fossil fuel export revenue we expect. So I guess where we're at at the moment is that of Australia's export revenue, 44% of that is emissions-intensive commodities. So we're we're looking at coal, gas and iron ore. And of that 44% of our export revenue, there are four countries that import 92% of that. Mm -hmm. So most of our fossil fuel-intensive commodities we're relying on four countries to have a demand for, and that's China, India, Japan and South Korea. But basically, if those four countries take some action to to reduce how much coal, gas and iron ore they rely on, which actually they all do have plans to move away from importing fossil fuels, and we haven't allowed for that in our projections. Mm -hmm. So Australia is sort of at the expense of other industries, is focusing on these, these industries that not only are at odds with any real action on climate change on a global scale, but they actually put our economy in a, in a really precarious situation moving forward. Mm-hmm. So we're relying on them to not have good emissions reduction policies. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's what in the, in the plan we called it Australia's carbon catch-22 because while climate change is projected to have a really negative impact on Australia, I mean Australia is already a, drought, a drought-prone continent and mm-hmm. the impacts of climate change here are by no means, you know, that's that's something that Australia really doesn't want to see happen. So it's in our best interest as a country to have the whole world act mm-hmm. as progressively as possible on climate change. Mm-hmm. And yet we have an economy that is essentially relying on the, the global market still wanting our fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like we need to, as well as the plans that you've told us about reducing domestic emissions, is just beyond zero emissions want Australia to also be moving away from exporting. Yeah, that's right. Not only do we want to see that from a, a climate change perspective, but also it's really important for the stability of our economy that we decouple from that reliance on fossil mm-hmm. fuels and that we start looking at focusing on industries that are progressive and that have a future. So are there any plans already that Beyond Zero Emissions has where they're su- what they're suggesting for a way for the government to help make that move? I think what they'll be pushing the government to do as a first step is to review those predictions um, in terms of the, the fossil fuel export revenue that the, the government thinks it will get and to see how, those, see how that, those investments look when you account for the fact that these countries might be taking real action on climate change and, and making moves to reduce their fossil fuel imports. And I think what you'd find is that with um, a proper assessment of those risks, there wouldn't be these the the economic or the business case to be investing what we're investing in mm-hmm. mining. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, did you say we're the biggest coal emitting coal? Yeah, we're ex- the biggest coal exporter in the world. Wow. 
And so at the beginning, obviously, you mentioned about what the goal of reducing emissions is in terms of getting at least one of the agreed upon numbers is to not get above two degrees warming. If we do go to zero emissions, are we going to how much are we going to help get the world to that? place. Yeah, so I mean Australia per capita we are a high emitter but we're not the biggest country in the world so Mm. I I guess on our own we're not going to stop global warming, that's kind of a given but I I think that what we can do taking action on our own I I guess we can be a leader in the world and something that BZE talk about a lot is that being progressive and you know if if Australia were a country that was that had a 10-year plan to decarbonize that would really make us a country that that was looked to by other countries for how to do these things so Mm -hmm. I think the impact would actually be greater than just what we would see within Australia it would be um, Australia leading the way. Mm. Uh, So and then in terms of getting to that two degree target if every country became zero emissions that's kind of the way we'd get closer to this. I mean I think my my understanding of the the sort of initial BZE ten year time frame was that that was driven by a study that was done by I think a German sort of climate change group where they looked at what the the carbon budget of the world would be if we mm-hmm. wanted to stay under two degrees yeah um, of global warming and then based on that they found that the US would have to reduce their emissions to zero in ten years mm-hmm. and because Australia was a similar per capita emitter to the US then VZD thought ten years that's if, if we if we're serious and, and we want I, I think BZD um, a big part of the way the the research is oriented is that we want action on climate change that matches the scale of the problem so we don't we're not just talking about doing sort of little token things to slightly reduce our emissions we're talking about how much do we have to reduce our emissions to properly address this problem and that's you know it's a lot and it's a lot more than than most people are talking Mm -hmm. so it sounds like and now that china as well and the u.s is sort of taking steps that that they actually could make a big impact in terms of getting to that goal yeah that's right and so it was sort of big news when china and the u.s actually had a had an agreement to mm-hmm. reduce their emissions, and that's sort of, I think that's that's exactly what we need to see um, globally as as countries agreeing together. That's what's going to send the message to a country like Australia that's exporting fossil fuels that that's not something they're going to be able to keep doing. Mm-hmm. So it might be true that if we reduce our emissions, we're not going to stop global warming, but it's also true that if everyone did it, if every country did it, we actually could stop it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's sort of one of Avoid. those big scary problems that feels like it's too big for mm-hmm. a, for an individual. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it is it's, and it's even it's too big for one country to solve on its own, but it doesn't mean that as an individual or as a country you can't be a really big part of of moving in the right direction. And I I do understand why people find that it feels too big or, you know, it feels like something that you would rather disengage with than feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall. But I think that really, ideally, we would have the opposite reaction, which is that, you know, this is a big problem and therefore we'll do, we'll sort of find out as much about it as we can and figure out, you know, whatever energy we feel we can contribute to it, we um, contribute it in the right place because we have a good understanding of what the issues are. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fantastic, Jenny. I think that's made it really clear to anyone out there who's sceptical that there are steps that you know someone's planned out that, that Australia can take. It's been great to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
And you were just listening to Jenny Lewis from the think tank Beyond Zero Emissions, talking about how Australia can become completely decarbonised within 10 years. And anyone who wants to know more info on BZE's 10-year decarbonisation plan can go to their website, bze.org.au. And that was the final episode of the special Women on the Line series, Australia's Race to Warm the Planet, about this country's contribution to global warming and what can be done to stop it. For more info on that, go to the Women on the Line page at 3cr.org.au. I'm Beck Zajac. Thanks for joining us. It's coming up crimson, coming up cold, rushing up so wild, taking a hold, and it's a rushing smile, and I can't hide how to do that thing. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenonthelineline at hotmail.com. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.